Suffolk is a most beautiful place, England's most easterly county. From the breaking waves on the shingle of Alborough Beach to the rolling gallops of the Newmarket area, it is full of incredible views, fascinating people and amazing businesses. There are only three things you can do with money. You can spend it, you can give it away, or you can save it. This podcast looks at how these activities are carried out within Suffolk and the people behind them, from exciting, bold entrepreneurs to large employers who are household names, from neighbourhood projects to charities dealing with massive issues, from money-saving tips to explaining the world of investments. This is a podcast about Suffolk. This is a podcast about money. Welcome to Suffolk Money. Ten years ago, few people talked about mental health. Occasionally, we'd be told that someone perhaps had suffered a breakdown or that they couldn't cope. But thankfully, being willing to talk about our stress and mental health has become significantly more commonplace over the last few years. With the issues that have arisen from the global pandemic over the last 12 months, mental health is very much on the agenda. And so I'm delighted to welcome John Neal, the Chief Executive of Suffolk Mind, to talk through how these issues are discovered, how they're addressed and how they're assisted through the work of the award-winning Suffolk Mind. Uh, John, welcome. Good to have you with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Connor. Good to be here. Well, first of all, let's talk about this award. What, what's the award that Suffolk Mind have, have won over the last little while? Well, Suffolk Mind is part of a, a network of, of local independent charities that are all affiliated to the National Mind charity. And there's around about 130 of them. And the award that we won was uh, within that network. So within that network, we've been assessed as uh, um, being of award-winning calibre when it comes to the, the quality and safety of our services in particular, which, um, you know, it's that's, that's a really good thing to, to win. We're really proud of that. Um, health and safety and service quality are, are the bedrock and the foundations of, of everything that we do, uh, because if we're not safe, then obviously we can't, we can't really build a reputation for, for delivering quality services. So uh, we were really pleased to be, to be recognised in that way. So this, that's a really interesting point to start with. You were just talking about the sort of national view of mind. Mind is probably a bit more uh, commonly known than it was a few years ago. Mm. How does Suffolk mind fit within that? How do you operate? Yeah, so um, there are 130 local mind associations across the country, each of which is an independent charity with its own board of trustees, its own charity number. Um, and we're affiliated to, to the national charity, but we all do things slightly differently and we all cover different areas. So we, it's quite nice and simple, well, fairly simple in Suffolk in that we cover Suffolk, but we don't cover Waveney. That's covered by Norfolk and Waveney Mind. Um, in Essex, there are five different local mines. Um, and, and, and there's also Cambridgeshire, Peterborough, and South Lincolnshire Mine, for example, which is one of the more geographically large. Um, and we all do slightly different things. We've got different suites of services available. Most of us do some sort of counselling, for example. Uh, we in Suffolk run supported housing for people with severe and enduring mental ill health. Um, and we also, one of, the, one of the things that makes us different to a lot of the others is the focus that we have on prevention. So we're, we're very much, and yeah, most of the local minds do something around prevention as well, but we're, we're even more focused on preventing mental ill health from happening in the first place. 
um, than perhaps some of the others are. And we do that through the particular model that we use, which is the emotional needs and resources model. So that basically says that you know, we've got rule on the mental health continuum, stresses a crossover point from well-being into mental ill health on that continuum, and stress is caused or precipitated by one or more of your emotional needs not being not being met. Could you? Well, that's a really good point, maybe for us to elaborate on, because yeah. perhaps if if someone isn't showing any signs or doesn't believe they're under any um, uh, propensity to to mental ill health. They might think it's never going to impact them, but your view and the, the continuum suggests that we shouldn't be um, thinking in that way. Yeah, so we all have brains, so we all have mental health, and we're all on the mental health continuum. And if um, if somebody thinks, well, I've never suffered stress before, I'm, I'm not really susceptible to stress, what, what that probably means is that they're getting all their emotional needs met, and so they haven't had uh, a barrier they haven't experienced a barrier to getting their needs met which is which would have caused stress so it's when stuff when something changes in either in your environment or if uh, um, if something happens to you physically that might change uh, it's when there's some kind of change either neurological or, or biological or sociological um, that uh, a barrier can be put up to getting a, an emotional need met so what we've seen recently for example during a COVID-19 pandemic is that the, yeah, the whole world has changed in the sense that we're all sitting at our desks, uh, those of us who, who may once upon a time have gone into an office, uh, we may have, we used to go to meetings, we used to see people physically. Um, and you know, while during lockdown one, you could, a lot of people were thinking, okay, well, this is just for a few months, so, uh, so we'll be okay. Um, and then lockdown started to ease and then we went back into lockdown and then it was Christmas and then suddenly we're back into lockdown again. And what's happened this time around, according to some of our statistics, is that the number of people that are not meeting their need for community in particular um, has, has skyrocketed. Yeah, it's gone mm. right up. Um, and a lot of people who so something like um, nearly two thirds of us are now susceptible to stress among the population of Suffolk. Um, so a lot of those people will be experiencing stress and mild to moderate mental Ill health probably for the first time ever and they would have been those people who used to be getting their needs met and didn't realize maybe that they had emotional needs that must be met and haven't realized necessarily that the environment has changed and so there's more of a barrier or a challenge to getting those needs met now um, so what we're trying to do across Suffolk is, is just raise people's awareness uh, just you know just a bit so that they have those emotional needs that must be met um, and to take a step back, really, and, and think, OK, how am I going to if I can't see people physically, how can I get my need for community met? Um, if they're like me, they're sitting on their bottom all day, we're looking at this screen uh, and thinking, well, the last thing I want to do in the in the evening is a Zoom quiz with people because I've been staring at my screen all day. Um, so what else can you do to, to get your need for community and to connect with other human beings? And we've actually launched a campaign called Pen Pals, where we're trying to encourage people to, to write letters to somebody else in their life. Um, doesn't matter who, long lost cousin or relative or friend, someone you went to university with, find their address and write them an analogue letter. Uh, do you remember those days? We used to take a piece of paper <laughs> and a pen. You might need to explain something. to some of our listeners what actually happened with them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'd write something down, put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and an address and, and post it. And, you know, Probably what will happen if you did that to someone you haven't seen for ages is they'll probably write back. Or maybe, maybe they won't, so try writing to someone else. And if you haven't got anyone to write to, you can write to us. You can write to Suffolk Minds uh, using our free post address, which is just free post Suffolk Minds, 
and we'll wrap back. And we've got a team of volunteers that, uh, that are doing that right now. Um, but there's also, you know, people can telephone people. Uh, yeah, in the old days, we used to do that as well, didn't we? We used to pick up a telephone <laughs> and hold it up to our ear. <laughs> and, and that seems a bit of a novelty at the moment too. So, or even just shouting at your neighbour over the fence or um, anything that we can do to connect with other human beings is actually more important right this minute than it's probably ever been, um, even if you're not feeling particularly down. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we're trying to do in terms of prevention is raising awareness that we have emotional needs that must be met and raising raising awareness so that, that people, when they start to experience or see a sign of stress within themselves, whether that's you know, a, a rash or a couple of sleepless nights um, or feeling sick in the morning or, or whatever it might be, snapping at the kids, being more irritable, um, you know, taking a step back and thinking, okay, which need is not being met right now? And what can I do about trying to get that need met? Goodness, there's so much stuff we could investigate there. So the first thing that was just a really frightening statistic is this two thirds of the people of the population of Suffolk, you believe, are now under stress. And yet we think of Suffolk as a very calm, sort of quiet, passive uh, county. We know that obviously there are, uh, that's not true. And we would expect a small number of people to perhaps have other issues, but two thirds is huge. Uh, how does that show itself? Yeah, so, so generally a statistic that a lot of people will have heard that's to do with mental health is that one in four of us in every, any given year will experience mild to moderate mental health. And that, that so before lockdown, according to our statistics, around about one in four of us um, was, was susceptible to stress and was, was maybe, you know, we, we score people's emotional needs on a, on a scale and about, about one in four of us was scoring below one. So they were, they were, they were not on average getting their, their needs met. Um, during the first lockdown, that proportion doubled basically to about 50%. And what we found is during the second lockdown, it's continued to increase. It went up to 55% and then it went to about 60%. So nearly two thirds of us uh, are susceptible to, to stress right now. We're not on average getting our emotional needs met. And as I said, the, the biggest driver has been community, which is a fairly obvious mm. one during the pandemic mm. and a lockdown. But the other ones are meaning and purpose, control and, and receiving attention. So if you think about meaning and purpose and control, um, if someone's on furlough and they're not doing their work, um, that might be fine. Again, you know, going back to the first lockdown, we might be thinking, okay, I've got three months, I'm, I'm going to be off. I'll learn to bake sourdough and to get my need for achievement and meaning and purpose met. I'll stick mm -hmm. it, put a picture on social media to get my need for respect and status met as well, which again, these are needs that we all have. Um, but now you know, people are just getting fed up of it. We're, we're kind of at the other end. Uh, and because we can't see, although the vaccination program is rolling out, which is a reason to be positive and optimistic, um, we are still not being able to see an end to, to what is going on. And, mm. uh, um, and until, and that, so that, that, that's all about the need for control. So having feeling that we're autonomous and that we're making choices in our, in our lives is about getting the need for control met. Yeah. And that's been taken away from us right, right. now by the virus. Um, and all of these different things that are keeping us physically safe are, are the right things to, to do. And, you know, we're following the science and all of that, but it does have an impact on, on people's mental health as well. And it's not just people that are unwell. It has an impact on all of us. Yeah. So how are we going to see that? Because I suppose while we're all within our four walls, um, there aren't outward signs to our neighbours. There aren't outward signs to our friends, our family. That that's going on. Um, well, there may be some, but um, maybe harder to spot. I suppose if you can see someone in person, 
it's a little bit easier to detect. How are we going to recognise the fact that this is something that's going on and that people are going to need some help? I think we just need to assume that we're all going to need to get our needs met in different ways and try to, to help uh, each other and ourselves to do that. So, so something else that we, we started last summer um, when the need for respect and status was driving the downward trend in, in mental health. Um, respect and status is all about feeling valued, feeling that you've got a place in society, that, that, that people, um, you know, a status of people respect you and, and value the contribution that you're, you're making. So we started a campaign called, uh, with, with the county council called SuffolkSaysThanks.com. Um, and if you go to that website, there's, there's some downloadable resources. You can download a, a poster that the kids can colour in. And it's all about saying thank you to people who just do anything that uh, relates to your life. So next door neighbours have put the bins out or yeah, thank you, yeah, draw, uh, send, send a poster to your grandparents to thank them for staying in touch or, uh, or thank them for staying at home and staying safe. Uh, doing one sent to the kids teachers you know whatever it is it's just saying thank you for the small things to so that we all feel more valued um so you don't need to necessarily see a, a sign that somebody is experiencing stress or mental health in order to do to do that that's that's mm. what i mean about genuine prevention if you see what i mean because yeah. we're trying to if, if we can enable everybody to get their emotional needs met then we'll prevent mental health from from happening um, but the signs of stress, I mean, the most common one right now is, is, is lack of sleep and, and lack of quality sleep. Um, and again, that's, that's, that's gone up during, uh, since the pandemic started. Um, and again, that's around about two thirds, which kind of tallies with the, with the stress levels. When you're stressed, you don't sleep very well. Right. Um, and if stress is a sign that your emotional needs are not being met, you're not sleeping well because your emotional needs are, are not met. So uh, the, the prevention thing sounds fascinating really but I guess that's the business you are in quite a lot of the time anyway um how, how do you normally deal with that I say normally with you know air air inverted commas <laughs> on that um if there is such a thing as normal but how, how do you go about communicating this message um, around Suffolk yeah there's, there's a few different ways so we, we put resources on our website um that, that anybody can can get to uh, we run. We usually, in normal times, run training courses that uh, that are open to the public as well, called Suffolk Needs Met, which introduces that model uh, over a half-day training session. But um, the, the majority of the work that we do is with workplaces, with employers, where we're we're selling to them packages of training and and support uh, that are all about trying to create a workplace that that it enables people to get their needs met. So if you think about that need for control, for example, if you've got people who are uh, if you've got a very target-driven culture at work uh, where people feel they don't have much autonomy over the design of their work, that's not getting the need for control met, and that can be a barrier to getting that, that need met, for example. Um, if you've got a workplace where people get thanked a lot uh, for what they do and they feel valued for the contribution that they make, that's getting that need met. Um, if you've got a workplace where uh, people are bored and they're not, not being stretched and challenged, uh, so getting their need for achievement met, for example. So there's lots that we can do around that, which is making environmental changes to a workplace uh, to either break down barriers to getting needs met or to enable people to get their, their needs met. And similarly in schools, we um, even in the, in the period between the two lockdowns, uh, the first two lockdowns, we were delivering a few things in schools in a socially distanced way. 
um, taking this model and teaching it to kids through to, in primary schools, teaching it through stories. So we tell stories about different animals that uh, either experience barriers to getting needs met or start to develop different ways of, of meeting their emotional needs. So just talk through the business side of things there, because I think one of the things we think about with businesses is, you know, the cost of everything. Um, but actually, sometimes we need to take a step back and think what could be the long term cost if we don't take these actions. So mm. just talk us through how, how does this um, Suffolk's Needs Met delivery to a business take place? How do you do that? How long does it take? What do you cover? There's a lot of research out there that's been released in recent years. Uh, there's a report called Thriving at Work. And uh, something that fed into that was a piece of research by Deloitte. And um, they found, they, they were investigating return on investment for different mental health uh, um, interactions or interventions. Um, and they found that if you, if you make, because what, what, what uh, an employer would normally do, if they're, if they're experiencing employees going off sick with stress and mental ill health, is they'll, they'll make counselling available through occupational health, for example. And you get a return on investment of about, about three to one, according to Deloitte, for that, which is still pretty good. Um, but if you do a bit more than that, and you do some maybe line manager training and uh, start to talk about mental health in the workplace a bit more, you get a return of about five to one. But the biggest return of around about eight to one is if you change the culture and you create an environment in our language that enables you to, to meet emotional needs. And in that case, the return is around about eight to one. So you know, for, for most businesses, when they think about an investment, if they can see a, an eight to one return on that investment, they're going to say, yes, okay, uh, I think that's probably a good idea. But it takes, you have to have that sort of top level buy-in to, to really want to create an environment where people are getting, meeting their emotional needs. And there are a number of businesses out there that do it automatically anyway, because a lot of the things that we talk about are just good business sense or they're good employee engagement practice. Um, so for example, treat, um, which uh, Damon Reeve is the chief exec of, um, they do do some of our training, but even before we came along and, and they became one of our clients, there's a lot of things that he'd, he'd introduced since he became chief exec that were uh, that fit with the emotional needs and resources model. So, for example, an employee of Treat, uh, if their dog is sick, they can just go and take them to the vet and they, they don't have to make up the time. Um, you know, they're, they're basically valued and respected and trusted to, to do that because that's something they need to do. And then they just come back to work. And you know, Damon talks about not saying you have to make up the time if you do that. Uh, and if you don't say it, they usually will make up the time and then some because the, the, the relationship between the employee and the organisation is, is better as a result. And that's you know, meeting the emotional need for control, the emotional need for status, so they're feeling valued. Um, and, and that's a kind of cultural change that uh, an employer can could make in a workplace that would make the environment more conducive to getting needs met. And that's, that's what we're ultimately trying to, trying to achieve mostly in Suffolk, but also outside of Suffolk. We work with businesses all over the place. So how do you deliver that? Have you been able to deliver that during lockdown or is that something, so can you do it remotely and online or is it something you really need to be in the same room? Well, when we went into first lockdown, we, we didn't rush into going online with our, our training. Um, and that was partly because we weren't sure how long it was going to last, but it's also because we're quite picky when it comes to quality and you know, as we won an award for it which is which is quite nice but um so and you, you can't take a sort of three and a half hours where you're sat in a room listening to someone talking and then talking amongst yourselves you can't just transfer that online 
directly because it's really boring when you're just sitting listening to someone talking on a, on a Zoom. So it took us a good six months or so before we could have an interactive version of even our first piece of training that Suffolk's needs met or your needs met, which is what we call it when we deliver it internally. Um, but that was the first one. And then we, we've, we've moved on from there. So we now have pretty much everything that we do. We can we can run an interactive online version. Um, in slightly smaller groups because you're trying to organize things on Zoom, with breakout rooms and that sort of thing. Um, but it can can be just as effective and it's, it's good to have yeah, it's an option that we'll have into the future. So we'll always be able to deliver something physically face to face, but we'll always have an interactive online version as well. And we're just developing in partnership with the University of Suffolk, some other some e-learning resources, which are more like videos, animations, interactive quizzes online um, on a platform that we're probably going to launch um, at some point later this year. So we've talked quite a lot about prevention and preparation for that. What about beyond that? So what about those who recognise that perhaps they are under stress or that they are mental health issues that they are grappling with? What, what services are you supplying at the moment? We provide services right along the mental health continuum. So one end you've got wellbeing, which is very much about the prevention and the workplaces, communities, schools. Um, as we move up that continuum, we have counselling services for people that are experiencing mild to moderate mental ill health or, or slightly more severe and enduring mental ill health as well. We have groups for people who have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. We have a, a, a late night telephone crisis service that uh, to helps people call Suffolk Night Owls. Uh, we have a daytime service for people that have been discharged from local mental health trust, um, NHS services basically, which is called Connect. Um, and we've got about, about 900 people on that one, um, about 600 people on the evening one. Um, and we have, we run supported housing in, in East Suffolk uh, for people with severe and enduring mental ill health. So people that are coming out of hospital um, but are not quite ready to just go and be on their own again or be back with their families. And so we're supporting them to put their lives back together so that they can go off and, and, uh, and live independently again. Um, and then we have a care home in Ipswich, um, which is uh, where people will, will be with us for the rest of their life um, while they, we're helping them to manage their severe injury mental health conditions. Um, and there's a whole load of other things in between. Like we've got an eating recovery group for people who struggle with their, what they eat and controlling it. And we've got uh, some green care projects. Uh, we, we used to call it ecotherapy, which is allotments where we have peer support groups that come and uh, do things on allotments. We've got volunteers who help with that. We're part of uh, Suffolk Advice Guidance and Emotional Support, which is a service run by Suffolk Libraries, uh, along with Suffolk Family Carers to uh, to support people just to stay to stay well in lots of different ways so there's um i've probably forgotten something i'll probably get told off by someone listening to this for for leaving them out but uh, as you can see there's a whole load of different things that, that we do um but all of it is informed by this emotional needs and resources model so whether you're you're preventing and trying to keep people well that's informed by the model but if you're talking to people that are further up the mental health continuum who are not getting their needs met you're trying to identify what unmet needs they've got and move them back down the continuum to the well-being end so how's how is all of that funded because that isn't you know that's no small operation this is yeah. pretty significant how how do you receive funding um how, how does it was dare i ask what's your business model if there is such a thing <laughs> yeah so um a lot of it is funded by uh, the public sector so our supported housing in East Suffolk, for example, is a commissioned service. 
so we get money for it and we pay you know, we use that money to pay for that service to be to be delivered um, other examples of that would be that that daytime telephone line connects that's paid for by the NHS um, as is the evening service and waves which is our borderline personality disorder service other things we don't get money for um, some of it is paid for by individuals so our, our, our normal counseling service uh, if you wanted to, to come to us for counseling you would, you would need to pay for it um, we have a bursary rate for people that are unwaged or, or can't afford to uh, to pay for it themselves that's basically a, a subsidy to make it affordable for people who can't wait to either access a service or can't afford to uh, to go private themselves where the the green care um the allotment science that's we don't get any funding from statutory services for that so we, we fundraise for that we get donations for it and then the workplace well-being stuff is obviously a charged service we we're trying to, to generate income from uh, selling that training that we then put into our other services um, and to pay for things like having our website available and updating the content on there so that people can access information there that, that helps themselves. So our fundraising side has been has been growing um, over the last few years to enable us to do more and more of, of, of that and uh, from a business model point of view I've been we've been spending the last four or five years trying to diversify our income streams so that we're not overly reliant on one or the other and during during covid that's that's obviously been quite a good strategy because the the, the fundraising and the workplace well-being uh, pretty much stopped at the beginning of the pandemic but the public sector stuff uh, didn't and so we've been you know, we're grateful to the support that we've had from the public sector in terms of keeping us going but into the future yeah public sector might become more squeezed and so it would be a, a high risk strategy to rely too much on that one source of, of income and so growing the business side and the fundraising side um will just allow us to do more for people um further into the in the longer term so looking ahead if that's possible to look ahead given the uncertainties that we have in so many ways at the moment is there a sort of a an expectation of how you think things are going to change say in the next year perhaps with the requirement for services that you have with the cost of that uh, with the support that you might receive how do you see that happening yeah i i think the need is going to go up um yeah those statistics i was talking about i don't think anything's going to change there very quickly from our our point of view strategically we're, we're trying to take the pressure off of the nhs so that the nhs can help the people that need it the most I think uh, we in the future we want to be doing more work with schools um, but also just more work on on prevention and the more of those open training courses we can provide for example the more um, e-learning uh, that we can provide and not just that but also when we're allowed to do it physically again going out and delivering training um, you know I think during when lockdown eased we delivered one training course in in I uh, in a new community centre there that was just for, for members of the local community and I want to be doing more of that into the into the future and that, that costs money because um, it costs money in terms of having a, a highly qualified soft mind trainer go out and deliver that instead of being sold to a workplace where they might make hundreds of pounds so it's an opportunity cost but it's a cost all the same um, so money that we fundraise allows us to, to, to do that more um, and schools i mean i think it's going to be incredibly important in primary schools in particular that we we start to uh, raise levels of children's education about their mental health and about their emotional needs um and helping them to just 
have a language that enables them to talk about what they're what they're experiencing so not just to talk about their feelings but to say you know to challenge when a, a teacher doesn't treat them with respect or a parent doesn't give them control for example and to have a conversation about that or just to understand that when they're emotionally aroused when all of us are emotionally aroused we don't think clearly um you know when was how often have you written an email in anger and then the next day looked at it and thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that um, or, or a text message or, or whatever it might be. And for kids, that's doubly so or trebly so because their emotions are right at the, at the top and that, that part of their brain is um, is in control a lot, a lot more. So, yeah, the more work that we can do with, with schools and schools are going to find money tight. So the more that we can fundraise to pay for some of that, um, the better going into, into the future in particular. So yeah, I think there's going to be increased needs. Uh, I think what's good is that workplaces over the last 10 years, you know, as you mentioned in your introduction, there's a lot more recognition now in workplaces that mental health is something that needs to be taken seriously by, by employers. Um, and we're, I think the, the, next, the next kind of rung on that ladder is enabling people to recognise that it's an investment that, that you get a return on. Um, and if you create an environment that's good for your mental health and for your employees' mental health, then you'll get a return on that, that investment. You know, your, your company will make make more money, will still be here, will be more sustainable into the future. So I think there's a lot to be positive about, but there's also a lot of need that um, we're going to have to try and meet. Yeah. And do you think some of that will be acute? You know, there'll be issues that will have to be dealt with quite rapidly. Um, or do you think those are showing themselves already? I think um, some of it's showing itself already. I think there will be trauma will will occur in the future where, where people will have post-traumatic stress disorder and it will be something that's happened during this time that has caused that that stress. Uh, so some traumatic experience. You know, there's a lot going on behind closed doors at the moment. Um, and I don't just mean abuse. You know, it, it's difficult homeschooling your kids and keeping your patients um, uh, and you know, just not uh, not and and for so for some children, the school environment is their their safe environment or their more nurturing environment than than home. Uh, not the case for everybody by any stretch of the imagination. But I think there will be we'll find in in ten fifteen years time even the uh, the aftershock from this this time period will still be being felt, and I think it will be you know, the root cause of a lot of that will be PTSD that's being caused by adverse experiences that people are, are experiencing now. Goodness, right. So this could be something that isn't just something that's felt over the next year or two. This could be a very long-term impact on people. I think so, yes. I don't want to be too doom and gloom about it, but uh, <laughs> that's because uh, there are positives as well in the, in the sense that I think I think it's going to be even more, mental health is going to be even higher on the agenda than it already was. Because I think there's a there's a quite a widespread recognition that this is is having an impact on people's mental health. Mm. So from positive side, I think that's yeah, there's a lot to be positive about as well. So just changing tack very slightly is how did you get into this then, John? Because you know, for such a time as this, there's someone like you running Suffolk Mind, uh, part of the team at Suffolk Mind. But is this what you'd always wanted to do? Heading up a charity, you know, being ready for a time of crisis that we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, not really. No, my my uh, my career was more in um, in PR and communications and marketing and advertising that sort of thing. So uh, my, the longest job before this one that I had was working for uh, another charity. Funnily enough, 
um, called the Institute of Grocery Distribution, which most people have never heard of. Um, it's, a, it's a research charity and training charity that helps the grocery industry uh, to work more efficiently, basically. So right now they'll be looking at the impact of Brexit, I'd imagine. Um, and I, I worked there for, for quite a long time. Um, and then I, I, other than that, I've been working in the private sector a lot for, for PR agencies and, and integrated communications agencies. And that's where I was immediately before I came to Suffolk Mind. Um, and I came to Suffolk Mind really because you know, coming from the private sector, I, I went from, a, from being at a point where I was working hard to, to make a lot of money for someone else. Um, and I really wasn't enjoying that as much as, uh, as, I, as I might have done. Um, but at the same time, various people in my life, family and friends, were experiencing mental ill health. And it was at a time when it's, it was starting to increase as a, as a national issue that people were more and more aware of. Um, and the opportunity came up at Suffolk Mind to be head of income generation to effectively commercialise some of what they what they were doing. Um, so I took it and then uh, shortly after that, the chief executive decided to uh, go off somewhere else and, and I got I got her job. So um, ended up in the hot seat um, and haven't looked back. And it's been, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's the best job I've ever had. Um, I can't see myself doing anything else uh, ever. Um, and because uh, I get my emotional needs met from it. Yeah, I get achievement. I'm trying to. I'm being. I'm being stretched and challenged to to keep the keep the show, ship on the road and keep it growing. Um, I've I've got plenty of uh, meaning and purpose from what I'm doing. Yeah, I feel that the organisation is making a difference um, in some way, and I'm I'm a small part of that. Uh, I get money for community met. I get money for control met because obviously I'm the boss, but I'm also trying to get everybody else's need for control met. Um, I feel like I'm quite good at it so get respect and status from it I feel valued so um there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why it's a great job and it's a great great organization to work for um and I've got a brilliant team around me you know my, my leadership team are, are fantastic uh, we've got a great range of skills there and, and everyone who works for us um is, is dedicated and, and hardworking and and highly skilled um so it's a real privilege to to be doing it it sounds like it could be very easily all-consuming um, because a the needs that are out there in the community and b it's obviously something you absolutely love um, is there any opportunity for a break do you specifically you know conscious of this issue of stress are you, uh, is there something you you set time aside for to to keep away and to to put down the pen or the laptop yes um i do and, and i try so when I, if i go on holiday i don't take my work phone with me um, if there's an emergency, somebody will have will be able to get in touch with me. But really, you know, what what emergency could there be that that people that I've employed and that I trust couldn't handle? Um, so, you know, having having done that, it's quite. I need to. I want to set an example by switching off. So I I very very rarely uh, email at night uh, or at weekends. Um, yeah, occasionally I do. Occasionally something happens where I have to. But I try and lead by example there, and I don't want people emailing me either, uh, especially internally. They get told off if they do, because <laughs> I don't want to be thinking about work in the evening. And yeah, while I love my job, I love switching off from it as well, and I love my family, and I love you know, reading books and relaxing and, and doing other things. Notwithstanding that, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that I do that's outside of hours too, in normal times, that is, going to different events and 
um, speaking at things and and it ranges from uh, a WI meeting in Sudbury to um, a great big conference with a, a thousand accountants in the room um, and everything in between those two those two extremes and I really enjoy doing those too and that's been the biggest downer from from my point of view uh, in many ways about about lockdown and, and how things have changed is that I'm not not seeing other people and, and talking to them about what we do in the same way that I normally do and it's just not quite the same on the screen. Yeah, well, hopefully it won't be too much longer now, but uh, yeah, look forward to those days. Now, I'm sure the other thing you'd look forward to is opportunities to get out and, you know, do something of an evening. So let's just have a have a think about that, the ideal way to relax. What would be your, your perfect evening? I have fairly simple, straightforward tastes. Um, uh, and uh, although they can't be met at the moment, but yeah, so, so lockdown notwithstanding, my perfect evening out, I think I would probably go to... Uh, I might extend it and be a bit cheeky and, and have a, a matinee theatre uh, performance of maybe Hamilton, uh, which I love, um, or Les Mis, or something else. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen was, I think, the last thing that I saw before before everything changed, um, which is really good. Followed by um, a meal at a Michelin-starred restaurant, something like Midsummer House in Cambridgeshire, or um, uh, yeah, I, I like. I went to the the, the unruly pig in uh, just outside Melton uh, just before before Christmas uh, when we we were still being socially distanced. Um, so yeah, some so I mean, a, a nice restaurant in London, followed by a night in a in a hotel that's got a spa attached, so I can get a massage in the morning and just relax and chill out and read some books with my wife. Doing all of this, by the way, <laughs> on my own. <laughs> I'm glad you added that. That was that. That just made it right. Yeah, that that sounds good. And and is that important for people to have things to look forward to? Is it important for people to have um, a way of separating out, you know, everyday life from you know a little treat in some way or other? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it's important for our brains to be used in different ways. So I, I currently um, carry a book around with me all the time and. Well, uh, it's currently Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, but it's just taken me ages to get through. But um, and during the day, if I you know, in between meetings, I might just read a chapter uh, just to switch off the kind of really thinking part of my brain and, and switch on the imagination part of my brain, which I think helps to then switch back on to something else. And you're, you're kind of activating the same part of your brain that you use when you're dreaming. And you know, sometimes you'll take a problem to bed and you'll sleep in the morning. Oh, God, I've got a solution. And that's you know, there's different bits of your brain that are subconsciously working on the problem. Uh, some people get it when they when they go uh, and when they do some exercise. They get into mm -hmm. a mental state of attention called flow, where you're just focusing on, on nothing else. And then a solution to a different problem will come to you because you've, you've, you've looked away from it. Um, and I think reading fiction helps to, to do that too. So, but yeah, switching off at nighttime or evenings or having a holiday to look forward to switching off when you're on, on doing that doing other things that are, are culturally, um, uh, cultural experiences of one sort or another, uh, much of which you can get for free. Just going for a walk in a park uh, is, is a different cultural experience from sitting on your bottom at your desk. It doesn't have to be about, about spending lots of money. Um, and doing it with other people as well is, is important for, you, for your mental health. So yes, I think it is, it is important to have those kinds of, have things to look forward to. All, all 
all the time you're doing what you're doing is getting your emotional needs met because we, we we're naturally trying to get those those needs met by doing the things that we do fascinating stuff this has been absolutely brilliant just going through all of these things john and just making us think about our own circumstances um so it sounds to me that though we've got a bit of a an agenda the things we need to so we need to be mindful ourselves of our own situations with stress um as a starting point yeah i mean all we're trying to teach people is to just be aware that you have emotional needs that must be met if you're experiencing stress then that that's a sign that one or more of your needs is not being met um and if you can take a step back and uh think which need is not being met what's the barrier to getting it met or how can i get it met then that's the, the key to getting better and then if we're involved in a business or running a business then we need to uh, talk to you about uh, the services that you offer and uh, the way in which you could benefit businesses in the long run by dealing with these warning yeah. signs. If you're, yeah. if you're running a business, come and talk to us about our workplace wellbeing, and there's there's a lot that we can do to to help to realise that return on investment that we talked about earlier on. So let's just flag up: how do people get in touch? Um, on our website, stuffatmind.org.uk, uh, you can find everything that, uh, that you need to, to know there. That's the best way to, to get in touch with us. Or people can email me directly if they'd like to. It's j-o-n-dot-n-e-a-l, john.neal, at stuffatmind.org.uk. Brilliant. Well, thank you for what the organisation does and the difference it makes to people's lives. And also how this has become something that just seems to come out from you with a real desire to make a difference so thanks for all you do john and thanks for your time today all right thank you for the opportunity to to talk to you and your listeners about it as always do give us some feedback go on to our facebook page which is suffolk money and uh, find us there leave us some comments give us some feedback and uh, do the same on your podcast uh, facility of choice whichever one you're using if you can give us some feedback through there as well we'd love to receive that please do uh, recommend us to your friends so that they can get some benefit from the stories that we're bringing and also if you've got any news items that you can keep us informed about then we'd love to hear those as well so we hope that we'll see you next time on Suffolk Money. Suffolk Money